0: get Dennis because he had a wedding. You get me. Um, Yeah, he had to go do a wedding. It wasn't quite his, though. i got to steal this, so give me a sec. So last week, while I'm getting this ready, we talked about peace, I believe, was the topic of the day. And if you recall, we had a a very interesting and, and incredibly peaceful video clip from Mark's Family Spoons Tournament. And uh, it was impressive, Uh, very impressive. And and I think it was important as we start thinking about things today and we move into a message today that's not about peace but about joy that we go back and we think about Mark's Spoons Tournament. Now, not all of us get the chance to go hang out with our families. Not all of us play spoons. But the complete lack of peace that that represented to me um, brings to mind a couple of questions that I want us to kind of think about as we get going this morning. Question one. Uh, As we head into the home stretch here at Christmas, has anybody out there uh, felt a little bit of stress, maybe a little manic, maybe a little anger at times, right? A lot of peace there, right? That's kind of just like what we saw in the video. What about at the mall? What about at the parking lot? What about at your home? Has there been any utterances, maybe a gesture in the past week or so? This is not the stuff that peace is supposed to be about. But there's good news here, of course, and the good news comes from the scriptures. I think the Bible speaks to us a little bit about peace and about these situations that aren't peace. Um, So I want to look um, at James, I hope. Where do I point? There we go. Um, uh, I'm going to give you some scriptures this morning, before we even read this, that come from different translations, so work with me on that. Um, Different translations have different powers or strengths, and different emphases in the way that they do their translation. This one is coming from the NIV, and I think it's very important for us uh, just to work our way into the topic of, of joy by considering everything that we're doing this week in our mania, uh, mania in our anger. Uh, let me tell you, ask Austin, I've had a few bouts of anger this week, and, and it's the season. It's the pressure. So here's what James says to us about this. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you'll be judged for the judge is standing at the door. What's the point here? The point here is, and it's cliche, but that's fine, in all of this craziness that we call Christmas and holiday shopping, let go, let God. That's what the message is here from this passage in James. So let's latch on to that. And let's understand that, cliche as it may be, when we let go and we let God, that's how we get the peace. And peace, I'm going to suggest, is a prerequisite for today's topic, joy. Unless you have peace with God, no joy. Unless you have peace with God, no peace with self. And unless you have peace with self, there's no joy. So understand um, and and do as uh, James would have us to do here, and be patient, and stand firm, and wait. Just let it go. Very counterintuitive. So in addition to this passage today, there's four others in the lectionary on joy, and I actually looked at each of them, and I have something from each of them. Um, And we'll dig a little bit. Um, I'm a Southern Baptist by trade, if you will, so everything we learn in Southern Baptist land is to do things in threes. So we're going to do three topics, three points, as we talk about joy. We're going to look a little bit at one of the Psalms, and we're going to talk about worldview this morning. Then we're going to change gears, and we're going to look at the Gospels. We're going to look at Luke. We're going to look at Matthew. And we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus Christ, and where does he fit in this stuff. And then we're going to wind it up, moving toward um, Isaiah, back into the Old Testament. And we're going to talk about the heart, uh, because that's kind of important in all this stuff. And for those of you that have heard me preach in the past, uh, I think there's two things about my messages that you may recall. First, I tend to talk extremely fast and get through the message in about 20 minutes. And second, all I do is talk. Um, today, it's a little different. Uh, first of all, I have props hidden here. I have a video clip, and I'm going to go long. So wake up. It's not going to be a 20-minute uh, Ed Express this morning. Um, and not only that, but I do things a little bit differently. So you've got to kind of try to track with me a little bit, And understand that as I take the half hour or 35 minutes that I'm going to take, what I want to do this morning is give you food for thought, give you some stuff to go home with and wrestle with and try to put together in your own minds for the week. So um, do me or maybe do God a favor, give him an early Christmas present, take this stuff home and fight with it uh, because I think it's challenging. So first we'll go to worldview. And worldview is one of those words, um, we've heard it a lot lately, I think from Dennis and thrown around on, um, Christian radio, Christian TV, maybe you see it on the computer, or you just bump into it. we got to have a Christian worldview, right? Let's have a Christian worldview. What does the Christian worldview say about this? And we tend, at least I do, when I hear that stuff, to do this, nod a little bit, right? And I tend to say, yeah, that's it. What does worldview mean? I mean, we throw these words around, and I don't think we know what they mean. So let's think about what worldview means. And for that, I want to take you back to school. Uh, I went to the, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and the whole seminary experience that I had was built on worldview, interestingly enough. I mean, what on earth is an a, a evangelical, almost fundamentalist, seminary doing teaching philosophy and basing the entire experience on philosophy? Well, they did, and they did it on worldview. Um, so I'm going to go to this book. It's called um, Life's Ultimate Questions. It's an introduction to philosophy by this dude named Ronald Nash. And Nash was my prof. And again, this was the basis of our entire seminary experience. So before I go into what the book says and what Nash says, food for thought, number one. When we talk about books and resources other than the Holy Bible, we have to make sure they're credible. We have to make sure they're right and they're legit and they're not poison. So Nash, just to give you some context and background on who he is, is from the Reformed Theological Seminary in Florida, one of the best, probably the best, Calvinistic seminary in the country. And whether you know Calvinism or believe Calvinism doesn't matter to me, uh, it's legit. You know Calvinism has something to it. Secondly, this book is published by Zondervan. And whether you're into this academic stuff or not, most of us recognize Zondervan as the guys that publish a lot of our Bibles. They are the rock solid, in my opinion, evangelical publisher of the day. So the book's got credibility. What it says matters. And, And oh, by the way, in case you can't tell, I think worldview is 110% the enabler of this thing called joy. That's our topic for the day. So what is worldview? Here's what Nash says, uh, right on the first page of the first chapter. Uh, Worldview is, a person's uh, worldview contains a person's answers to the major questions in life, almost all of which contain significant philosophical content. Philosophy, religion, trouble. Worldview is a conceptual framework, and this is the definition that that matters for our our discussion. Conceptual framework, pattern, or arrangement of a person's beliefs. Interesting. And maybe that's easy, but we're not going to leave it quite that easy. We're going to dig and dig and dig, because that's what we do here in church. It's not fluffy. Um, But before we start to dig, let's see what the scriptures have to say from Psalms. Uh, This one is from The Message. And I happen to love the message. It's not a thought-for-thought or even a word-for-word translation. The message is a paraphrase, so understand that this is not the inspired, inerrant word of God necessarily, but a paraphrase. I happen to love the way this translation puts it, though, or this work puts it. Here is what psalms say about worldview, and I'll explain how this connects in a minute. Don't put your life in the hand of experts who know nothing of life, of salvation life. Mere humans us, don't have what it takes. When we die, not when they die, when we die, our projects die with us. Instead, get help from the God of Jacob. Let go, let God, what James said. Put your hope in God and no real blessing, parentheses, joy. God made the sky and the soil and the sea and all the fish in it. He always does what he says. And we always say God is love and all that good stuff. So God matters here. All right, put that aside. Uh, it's going to stay on the screen, which is good. And think about five critical questions for worldview. All right, this is, this is your homework. In fact, Dennis has given us a lot of homework lately. So today we have some homework. I'd like you to go home and sort out for yourself how you answer these questions with your faith system, with your belief system, in your day-to-day. And the questions are these. What are your beliefs about God? Who or what is God? Is there such a thing? That's key to worldview. It's one of the five critical questions of worldview, according to Nash, and most of these worldview philosophy type people. Second, what are your beliefs about metaphysics? Another word that we say all the time. Well, maybe not all the time. My cocktail conversation, Yeah, metaphysics. Um, Metaphysics is ultimate reality. It's the important questions. That's how I like to think of it. The questions that really matter. What are your beliefs there? What are your beliefs about knowledge? What is knowledge? How do we get knowledge? What are your beliefs about ethics? right and wrong? And what are your beliefs about human nature? These are the five critical questions that get at defining your worldview. And we all have one, by the way. Whether you're in touch with it, whether you think through it or not, you have one, and I want you to think about it in terms of these questions this week and sort it out. My Christianity is this, or my belief is this on these things. And suddenly it's not this simple arrangement of thought. It's powerful stuff. Worldview is major, major, major stuff. So go home, wrestle with that. Um, As you wrestle with that, I'd like you to think about this. When I peel away at this onion and peel and peel and peel, I think, in fact, it's worldview that defines our capacity as people to even have joy. Prerequisite. Understand your worldview equals your ability to experience joy or have joy. A little bit more on worldview. Um, The philosopher's recognize a bunch of different worldview systems. They say, Plato had a worldview system. He answered these questions one way. Aristotle answered them another way, and that represents a worldview system. And then we jump into the more modern world of uh, the Middle Ages, and we say, um, uh, Augustine had a worldview, and he packaged it a certain way. And he was a Christian, of course, right? Aquinas was probably the the last pre-modern, if you will, pre-current thinker that had a worldview. He answered these questions in a certain way. my message to you is to say, forget about all that. There's two worldviews, and this is my argument, and I hope you'll trust me on this because I'm going to prove it with the scripture. There's two, and only two. There's naturalism, and there's theism. You can either have a naturalistic worldview, meaning nature, meaning people, humanism, is like a cousin of naturalism. It's all what we can figure out and what we can do because we're so smart. In fact, naturalism happens to be, I think... What Satan was bringing to the Garden of Eden when he said to Adam and Eve, you can be like God, you can be smart, that's naturalism. Um, And theism is, of course, God-based. And I'm saying theism because, and and this might be heresy, so Dennis, just stay. Um, Theism because a Muslim, a Christian, and a Jew come at God, theos, from very similar places, very similar roots. In, in, in what is God, the ultimate concept. So, theism versus naturalism. And here, we'll start with the props. Naturalism, really got to understand what it's all about. So, when we think about naturalism, here's a way to approach it. The microwave, the laptop, and the smartphone. This is naturalism. Because naturalism first says everything's in a box. Nature is defined and everything's a system. Second, it's how smart we are and what we can do to put these different things that are in the box together, right? So I'm going to submit, because I'm a guy and I could do this forever, that if I had a microwave, a laptop, and a smartphone, give me a little bit of electricity, a little bit of food and water, I could exist for a long, long time with just this, right? But here's the problem we're so smart, we figured this stuff out. Rah, rah, us, right? We don't need any help. We're just geniuses, we're humans, we're great this stuff gets you into trouble. And for that, uh, Wes, you have a video clip that all on our own, and we're so smart, and and we're so humanistic, naturalistic, it's going to blow up. Whether it blows up now, whether it blows up later, whether it blows up physically like that, or it blows up internally, it's going to blow up. Uh, So, you're smart, people. If I think naturalism doesn't work, and this is a church, I must kind of be into this theism thing, right? So, what do we have here in the theistic worldview? How does the theistic worldview approach those five questions? You're going to go home and figure that out when you do quiet times, right? That's your homework. But I want to give you a hint, and I want to give you my um, Cliff Notes nickel definition of what is a theistic worldview. And in fact, I'm going to cheat and make it a Christian theistic worldview. To me, um, at at its simplest form, and you're going to wrestle with the questions, The theistic worldview of a Christian is this. It's what we are, how we act, what drives us, what motivates us, what makes us do and say and think the things we think when we actually have integrity. It's the stuff that we're thinking and acting and doing and wanting that would make God smile when he's the only one watching us. That, to me, is the Christian worldview. Um, And again, this is really stretching it and rough, but it works. Um, So go home and think about God, think about ethics, think about human nature, think about reality, think about knowledge, and put together your own concept and definition of a Christian worldview. So I just said the Christian word. We've gone from theism now to Christianity, and that's because we're Christians. The person of Christ, this concept of Christ, has to be fundamental to our particular worldview, right? Right? And it's uh, Christmas, we're Christian, we're talking about joy, worldview is a prerequisite or an enabler of joy. So where does Christ fit in all of this? Well, we sometimes lose some of these real fundamental truths or fundamental thoughts. Um, We're not Muslims, we're not a Jewish congregation, we're a Christian uh, congregation, so let's put Christ into the mix. And for that, uh, once again, conveniently enough, funny how that works, the Scriptures have something to say. And what this passage is going to say basically is, hey guys, I'm Jesus, I am exactly who I say I am, I'm who the Old Testament said was coming, I'm the man. That's what our passage is, and it's Matthew. Um, So John the Baptist was in prison, so says the Scripture, heard about all the things that the Messiah was doing. And he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah we've been waiting for, or should we keep looking for someone else? And Jesus said, go back to John and tell him about what you've heard and seen, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. Our theistic worldview is built upon acceptance, acknowledgement, belief in Jesus Christ. So, you want peace? Gotta have Christ. You want joy? Gotta have Christ. You want a worldview that's gonna have uh, a Christian basis or a theistic basis, a God basis? For us, gotta have Christ. Christ is central. Don't lose Jesus in Christmas. And it's amazing how often we do that. In fact, it's more than Christ. I think our microwave has something here for us this Christmas. It's the cross of Christ, right? It's not just that Jesus was who he said he was. It's that Jesus went to the cross, not as an abstract, but for you, individually and personally, right? To pay the price for your sins. Don't lose Jesus and don't lose the cross this Christmas. That's my important message there. Now, That might get a little bit abstract, and it might be a little tough to connect that to joy. I mean, I think I've been a little bit, maybe 30,000 foot level so far on joy. I've said it makes a connection between Christ and joy. I've said that your worldview unlocks your capacity for joy. What does that actually look like? And for that, we have another scripture from the Gospels. um, And I want this to be a congregational reading. Let me set it up for you. This is um, in Luke, very beginning of Luke, when Mary... um, goes to see Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth the mother of John the Baptist, Mary, of course, uh, the mother of, of the Lord. And there was a very interesting encounter here with the, uh, one of the babies leaping in the womb at the presence of Christ, if you recall, because even in the womb, Christ was, is Christ, right? So John knew what was going on uh, and leapt, if I recall the story correctly, in Elizabeth's womb when Mary showed up. Is that right? Excuse me. Is that right? That's right. So let's look at Luke, chapter 1. Um, and I want to read this out loud, all of us together, because this should be our song this Christmas, not just Mary's song. She had this experience. She was so fired up at what God had inside of her that this is how she broke out in a song. She said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave, for behold, this time on all generations will count me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear. He has done mighty deeds with his arm, he has gathered who are proud in the thoughts of their hearts, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, and has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And to that I say amen, by the way, because we're Abraham's descendants, and that song could be our song, because if we're Christians, just like Mary had Jesus in her womb, we have Jesus in our souls, in our hearts, right? That should be your song. I think that's the, the sort of thing that, that God, that Jesus would have us be singing, whether in our mouths or if you're like me and can't sing to save your life, in your heart, to him this Christmas. So own that song, right? that, that, that song of Mary, uh, and take it with you. Now, I just said song, and I said sing it, but if you're like me, you can't sing. So sing it in your heart, which brings us to part three of the sermon, or the message, which is the heart. We have a worldview. Um, It answers all the fundamental questions, uh, and it drives us by being Christ-based, God-based, not I'm-so-smart-based. But we have another problem here. Um, And in fact, I'm going to say it's a, a fundamental fact that we have a problem here, which is, darn it, we're too smart for our own good, guys. We do think this way. We tend to think we can figure everything out. We tend to be very self-reliant, right? And in fact, I'm going to say, especially for guys, we're supposed to be totally divorced from emotion. We're supposed to be the rocks, right, guys? Think about it, logic it, reason it. Just figure it out, and, and don't be a mushball. That's sort of the cultural norm, uh, less and less so, but, but very strong, uh, just the same. And, and women, um, more and more, and, and I'm stereotyping a little bit, so work with me, more and more women are being told, don't be so emotional. Don't be such a mush ball. You, you women have to be more like the guys and reason it out and think with the head and not the heart. Right? That's kind of the American way, I think. Um, I happen to also think it's wrong, um, big time wrong. Because what happens to us, aside from blowing up, when we try to do things in our own strength? Well, our naturalistic box has something there, too. This is what I think happens to us at the end of the day when we try to figure everything out. We jump in that little cage and we go on our little wheel, pretend it's a hamster wheel for me. This is what your brain gets you. You go around and around and around trying to figure it out, trying to chase things, trying to get where you need to get. You never get anywhere because when I do this, when I'm brain driven 100%, I'm going after the wrong stuff entirely, even if I do figure it out. So I go nowhere. Problem. So don't be so smart. In fact, if our theme for the week is joy, and we understand this Christian worldview a little bit now, is joy uh, a rational, uh, logic, head-based concept at all? No, joy is something of the heart. The Song of Mary that we read, does that have anything to do with her, her logic? Well, the angel came to me, and I have this Lord. What does that even mean in me? I think I'll be happy. I don't think that's the way it quite works, right? Um, joy is, and I'm going to be a little bit heretical again, Christianity is very much a heart issue. Okay, uh, Don't lose that. Don't try to reason it out, because unless you happen to be a, a, a real rock logician and go through Romans, you're not going to get to faith in Christ through your brain alone. I'm going to submit and say that. In fact, I'm going to say another cliche that, in fact, the distance from heaven to hell is about a foot from the head to the heart. And we often get it here and we get beaten over the head by some evangelist that comes up to us on the street or on the TV or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Well, Until this comes along, you're not living. You haven't owned a Christian worldview because the Christian worldview is here, not here. Very, very important. Um, Try to think about whether you think too much. Right? Um, work with that, huh? Go home and play with that for a while. In fact, there's one more thing in the microwave that matters. Um, after you think about whether you think too much, you can just stop thinking because it's this, right? Christianity is this it's the heart, guys. Right? Um, we had a prof when I was at school, and the prof's big thing was always to look at us little wannabes, ministers, pastors, whatever it is that we were there to study. And he was an Old Testament prof, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. And he would always, always, always look at us, because we'd wrestle with it, and we'd try to be all smart with him, and we'd try to logic things out, and he'd say, guys, read the book. Read the Old Testament, because if you're a Christian, you came from the Old Testament. You are Abraham's descendant. This stuff matters to you. Read it. Go spend time in the wisdom literature. Psalms, Proverbs, that sort of stuff. Wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs. Is there anything logical, rational, heady about the Psalms and the Proverbs? These are the emotion books, right? These are the heart books. Wisdom literature. Wisdom, heart. Hmm, interesting. So he'd look at us and he'd say, look, just give it up and step back and understand the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And we need to take that home as well, okay? The heart of the matter is it. Christianity, faith, is a matter of the heart. And this is where, as we get into Christmas, I think we have to do ourselves, our faiths, our families, our attitudes um, a favor and become more Jewish, become more Old Testament in the way we operate. Because if you read through the Old Testament and you study a little bit about the old Hebrew culture, The fact of the matter is, they got it. They got it. They were as driven by, they were as motivated by, the heart was as important to them as the mind is to us. So when you're reading this Old Testament stuff, and you're hearing these Old Testament passages about heart, 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 or even the New Testament passages about heart, 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 understand that in that that Hebrew culture, in that context from which they're saying that, they're speaking about the heart the same way we'd speak about the mind. It's the decider from George Bush, right? It's the thing that matters. It's the thing that's going to make us who and what we are. It's the heart. And for that, um, I've got another scripture, uh, again, from uh, the lectionary. Understanding that uh, it's really about Christ, it's about worldview, and it's about the heart. Let's see what Isaiah has to say. Where is it? Uh, 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 I don't know. Well, let me just read it to you, and we'll get back to it. Um, Isaiah chapter 35, 10 short verses that, that talk a little bit about heart, talk a little bit about Jesus Christ, by the way, and talk a little bit about joy. It says this. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with a vengeance. With divine retribution, He will come to save you. Then... Will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. then will the lame leap like, like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth <coughs> from the uh, sorry, water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground a bubbling spring in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. It will not be for those who walk in that way. I'm sorry. Start over. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing, Everlasting joy will crown their heads, gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and singing will flee away. Now, immediate context for Isaiah is exile. This is about the return of of the exiled Jews. But we know the rest of the story. We know it's also about Jesus Christ. Because we want those waters, that that bubbling uh, spring in our own spiritual desert. We want our eyes opened. We want our ears opened, right? Right? We want peace. We want joy. We want to be the redeemed. We want to be on that highway of holiness. Is that what everybody else wants? I do. Um, It's about Jesus Christ. And it's about, I think, it's about this. Because the whole discussion about the way of holiness and the peace and the springs of water, and the redemption, starts with these words. Say to those with fearful hearts. Step one, heart. It doesn't say, say to those who figured it out, right? It says, fearful hearts. When we approach the fundamental questions of life, issues of reality, knowledge, ethics, all that stuff that makes a worldview, When we come at things with a Christian worldview and a a trembling, God-fearing heart, that's when we get taken over. That's when the Holy Spirit can come in because we've kicked out the junk. We're not that smart, right? When we recognize that and come before the throne and do sort of one of these, I understand what the cross of Christ is. I figured that out and I'm going to hang my heart on the cross of Christ, that's when the Holy Spirit does his work. This picture right here is what Jesus Christ, what God wants us to give him for Christmas. So do that. Do that. And I'm going to stop there. Give your heart to the cross. Connect the cross of Christ to your heart. Forget about the mind. And, and be Christian this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, um, we're not so smart. Father, we can define worldview. We can write books. We can invent microwave ovens. We can invent the uh, communication device of the millennium. God, we can, we can have that iPhone. And Lord, we can say the word peace. We can say the word joy. But, Father, we can't experience it. We can't live it. It can't be you if it's just our heads. In fact, Father, this morning, I I pray for myself and and for the folks here that we'll get over it. We'll get over ourselves, Lord. and, And we'll understand that it's okay to have a heart. It's okay to go with your gut. And that, Father, that's what you want because when I try to figure out what to do or what to think, I'm going to be motivated by by sin, because that's that's what really is in the mind. That's the way it works, um, Father. But it's, it's my heart. It's the heart of your people that matters. So, uh, God, as we come to the end of the service, as we come to the end of the uh, mania of the Christmas season, let's um, open our hearts to what you're saying. Let's be driven by our hearts, Father, and and let's understand that uh, this concept of joy happens, Lord, when we're at peace with you, we're at peace with ourselves, and God, we let ourselves go to experience that, to feel that, and to live that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we go to the candle. So the Gadwas are going to come for the candle.